0: Praise the Lord. Thank you for the wonderful music, spirit-filled music this morning. Let's jump right into the message. I'm concluding a, a message on the family that I began about seven months ago at Grace Baptist Church. Brother Warren Johnson had me to come, and he said, Pastor, I want you to preach to the family. And so I wrote a series of messages seven months ago, some of which I am preaching in this series for the first time at Gospel Light. That's rare that I would preach something first somewhere else before I preach it here. But such is the case with the majority of these messages. Not all of them, but the majority of them I had prepared for that church in that particular revival meeting. And so as we look finally to this concluding message, I pray that everyone who has been with us for the past six weeks, and even if you've just come this Sunday, that somehow, some way, you could understand the seriousness and the intensity of what we believe when it comes to the family. We're taking it very serious. I know it has revolutionized my attitude The way that I'm being a husband and a father. It's changed me to study the scriptures. And so this message this morning, just in case you were wondering, is for all married people. But in in addition to that, it it is for all people who hope to be married someday. In addition to that, this message is for all those who, who used to be married at one time. In addition to that, this message is for everybody who knows somebody that is married in addition to that this message is for everybody who can spell the word marriage (laughs) and those who can't who's this message for this message is for everybody so i want you to listen whoever you are i want you to sit up and listen nobody plans for divorce nobody in fact i'm convinced that there is not one person who has ever uh... woke up one morning and said you know what i've been thinking about this for a while you know, you know, we've been married a while. Let's just get divorced. You know, we're having a few problems here lately and just seems like we aren't getting along as well as we used to. What do you say we just kind of plan this week sometime to go? You say, Pastor, that'd be ridiculous for somebody to think that way or somebody now who's unmarried to say, you know, I'm looking forward one day in the future to getting married and getting divorced. It's, that's not a thought. That's a ridiculous thought. And because of that, we need to understand that the Scripture has so much to say about how we can protect our marriages from failure. How could it be that people who so strongly desire the right end up with the wrong? How could that be? Others who are not divorced but yet living in a, in a stale situation, their marriage is stale, their relationship is stale. And can I tell you this morning, God does not desire married couples to live in, in a stale marriage. And so the title of the message today is, The Wise Family Protects Their Marriage. The Wise Family Protects Their Marriage. I had a little video, but can't. I think I'm going I'm to pass on that. We'll show that some other time at this point. I've got one later at the end, so I think that'd be wise. I've taken some time this past year, 2013, and I read, uh, I read the entire book of Proverbs 12 times. Did it for a purpose. Here's what I had in mind. I'm going to read the book of Proverbs every month. And what I'm going to do is focus on the verses in the book of Proverbs that deal with family. Every verse in the book of Proverbs that speaks of uh, children or uh, raising children or being a father or being a mother or being a husband or being a wife. I'm going to take those verses. And by the way, I was stunned at how many there were. Approximately half of the book of Proverbs deals with the family. And so we're talking about a wise family. Remember the first message, the very first message, talked about the wise family builds their house upon the rock. And today we're talking about a wise family who understands there are some things that Proverbs tells us to do that, that teach us how we can protect our families, number one. Number one, protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Protect your marriage by making it your very first priority. Proverbs chapter number 13 and verse 10. I'll have these verses on the screen. It says, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride. Let him that standeth take heed lest he what? Fall. Only by pride cometh contention. There may be someone here today that feels as if my marriage is fine. Look, preacher, hey, move on with this series. Get off of this stuff about marriage. You've been on this for six weeks about marriage and child rearing and being a good husband and being a good wife. Enough already. I'm good. I I, I can dodge that bullet on my own. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because pride cometh before, or only by pride cometh contention. But with the well advised, you see, the Bible says there's wisdom. You know, you don't have a good marriage because you say you have a good marriage. Amen. A lot of people that say, I'm fine. You don't have a good marriage because you want a good marriage. You only have a good marriage because you work at it. Haven't we said that a dozen times over the past few weeks? You got to work at it. A good marriage takes work. Just like we said last week, a lawn that is it looks really good on, on in, in your neighborhood. You take time to develop that lawn and, and that landscaping and prune those trees and plant those flowers. It takes time. Just like it takes time to prepare a good meal. I know we're gonna have a really good meal today after having folks over and my wife and my mother-in-law will like they do every week. Take time. In fact, we don't really eat till about 2 or 2:30. If you've ever eaten at our house, you're starving by the time lunch comes because they are in the kitchen preparing with great care and love for that lunch every Sunday. It's big for us. It takes time. It takes work. Just like it takes work uh, to, to have good finances and, 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 to, and to plan for the future. It takes work. It takes work to have a great marriage. Look at a couple today. Think of a couple today in your mind who for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years has had a really strong marriage. And you respect that couple greatly. And you look to them maybe for advice. Can I tell you, that good marriage is not good because they're lucky. Boy, aren't they lucky. They've been married 30 years. You know, it doesn't happen very much. That's just luck. No, that's work. It takes work. It takes hard work to keep your marriage as a first priority. Proverbs fifteen seven in Scripture says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs. Of herbs. Now, I, I know that we're having lunch today at our home, and I, 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 I kind of know what my wife's cooking. I guarantee you it's not herbs. I'm not going to get excited about herbs. I mean, if, if last night we had dinner at the house, had a guest over, and Carolyn just said, Honey, you're going to love it tonight. We're having herbs. I'm like, Honey, can, can we have some chicken? Can we have some steak? Can we have some rice? Would be better than herbs. But the Bible says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stall, docks, and hatred therewith. At the end of the day, the happiness in your home has nothing to do with what's on the dinner table. Nothing. You'd be better off having herbs and having a good strong home where love is than having steak and good food where strife is and contention is and hatred is. You see, happiness has to do with relational harmony in the home. Husbands and wives who work hard at at loving one another and caring for one another. It's not about buying, it's not about building and better, it's about love. So many times I think we feel as if, well, if we just build a bigger house or buy a better car or or just get something that's better, and just just better, just better job, if we can just get something better, it'll fix things. No, 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 it's not about building, it's not about buying, it's not about better, it's about love. Love is where it's at. More is not bad, but more without a good marriage is less. More is not bad, but more without a good marriage is less. Oh, no. A lot less. A lot less. Better is the dinner of herbs. Better, better I didn't take that promotion. Better I didn't go on the road. Better I, I, I put my marriage as a first priority. Proverbs 18, 22. The Bible says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth the favor of the Lord. Listen, marriage is God's idea. Amen. And I know that that is not a popular statement, and, and, and that's not something that, that is being taught today uh, with much popularity in our nation for sure. But marriage is God's design, the institution of marriage. It's worthy of your best efforts and your highest pursuits. We need to get back to the sanctity of marriage. Protect your marriage by making it your first priority. takes work, by the way takes work to do that a lot of work is it your first priority maybe your job or money or things your car your boat your hobbies really what is it number 2 protect your marriage by acknowledging and i'm going to just touch on this this is for both of us and then i'll single us out just a little bit but acknowledging your sinful bent that's what we've called it over the past few weeks we've really taken time to focus in on the fact that a man has a sinful bent and a woman has a sinful bent kind of like You know, something that just is... It's hard to work out, you know. It's just something that's there. Anybody ever had a cowlick? I don't really have a problem with that. But some of you I know. I mean, it's just... i tell you what. You've got to work hard at doing anything. You know, Debbie, you're a hairdresser. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, that... You're not? Okay, you're toenails and fingernails. Yes. Okay, sorry. Uh, If you're a hairdresser... Sorry. (laughs) She's fixing to get a lot of appointments, and she doesn't know what she's doing. Okay. Um, I'll give a different illustration. What about a pony? Have you ever seen a... Uh, Brother Merle, you know what I'm talking about. A pony that that just... It's hard to train. You sit on that pony for the first time. Boy, I mean, it is just... it, 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 it It's hard to tame a wild pony. It's hard. That's a sinful bent. It's just hard. It's in us. It, it's something that, because of the curse... Because of the curse of sin, in the, in the, in, from the Garden of Eden, God put a sinful bent in a woman because of her sin. God put a sinful bent in a man because of his sin. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 says unto the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrows and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. That translation makes it just a little bit hard to understand. It says that desire shall be to thy husband because literally it means against thy husband. In other words, the sinful bent of a woman is is to rebel against his authority, to to nag him. A a woman's bent is toward usurping her husband's position of leadership in the home. That's the woman's bent. Man, your, your sinful bent is to misuse and abuse the authority God has given you and to be consumed with your work it's kind of something we struggle with just consistently so back to proverbs look at proverbs 29 or 27 i should say in verse 15 real quick proverbs 27 15 says a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman or alike that word contentious just simply means quarrelsome think about how the houses were in that day what would have a roof been like that in that day would have been a thatched roof you know, it would, would have been nothing like we have roofs today. I mean, they had a real problem in that day. When weather came, they had leaks in their homes. And so this was something everybody understood, a continual dropping. I mean, homes were very, it was very prevalent in that day. That water would just drip through, and it was just a, nothing worse than, than that water just dripping, constantly dripping. And the Bible says that kind of a thing is, is like a quarrelsome woman, a nagging woman. Proverbs 27, verse 16, the very next verse says, "...whosoever hideth her hideth the wind." Anybody ever tried to hide the wind? It's hard to stop the wind. It's hard to stop a nagging woman. Anybody ever tried to hold ointment in their hand? Anybody ever taken an ointment and says, I got it! It just squeezes out everywhere. Right? Scripture's amazing, isn't it? I love the Bible. "...whoever hideth her hideth the wind in the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself." Listen, You can't restrain the wind. You can't grasp oil or or ointment. And a marriage with an nagging wife is unprotected. Proverbs 12, 4. The Bible says, A virtuous woman is a crown of her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. We talked about this verse already, but that word ashamed is one I want to focus in for about just 60 seconds. Shante Feld, and I encourage you to read. My wife and I have been giving this book out to everybody we can. We've recommended it to many husbands and wives to read Shante's books. She's the author for women, uh, a a woman's book for women only and and another book for men only. I think her husband wrote the one for men only, that's right. And she surveyed 1,000 men for her book for women only. And she asked this question, think about what these two negative experiences would be like and then pick the one you want. So here it is, a thousand men, here's two negative experiences, and what I want you to do, man, is is check the one that you would rather have. Number one was this, to feel alone and unloved in this world, or would you rather feel inadequate and disrespected? Which one would you choose? 76? Or 74% chose, number one, to feel alone and unloved in this world. 26% chose to feel inadequate and disrespected. That's what the verse says. But she that maketh ashamed. But she that maketh her husband feel inadequate and disrespected. In fact, they really said at the end of the day that both of them were pretty much the same. Because to feel unloved in this world or alone in this world is because of disrespect and inadequacy like rottenness to his bones. Now let's talk about men. Men tend to neglect their wives. And by the way, man, just in case you're kind of feeling good right now, there's more verses about men neglecting their wives than there are about women nagging their wives. So we obviously are the centerpiece of God's conversation and thought process more than even the woman is. We tend to neglect our wives. Proverbs 27, verse 8. As we just kind of go through some verses here. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. What is a bird like that strays from its nest? That bird is, is, is lost. He's helpless. That bird is vulnerable. As a bird that wandereth from her nest. That, that bird is easy prey. And when the bird returns, what does the bird find? It finds the eggs that were in that nest pecked away, and hurt, and, and, and maybe dead, and gone, let me give you five things that you know you're neglecting your wife when you do these five things, real quickly. Number one, when you give one word answers to heartfelt questions, you know you're neglecting your wife. Here she wants to know something, wants to know what's going on in your mind, what's happening, you know, honey, uh, tell me about your day, and find. Uh, fine. What's for dinner? You're neglecting your wife. She wants more than that. She she wants to know a little bit more about you. Remember last week? Open up to her. Number two, you know you're you're neglecting your wife when you hide your feelings. You only give facts when forced. You're like a fortress. You You don't want to give up too much information. You know, you don't want to know too much about the finances. You don't want to know too much about the, the, the girl at work that's your secretary that, 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 that's kind of been bothering her. Don't, don't tell her too much. Only facts when forced. You're neglecting your wife. You know you're neglecting your wife when you refuse to schedule one-on-one time. You're neglecting her. By the way, man, if you're not writing right now, I don't know. That's neglect. Hey, Amen. Uh, Joe's writing, and he's not even married. huh <laughs> Maybe women are okay with that. My wife would not be okay if I wasn't writing right now. Refuse to have one-on-one time. Number four, when you do things that are hurtful and you're not even sorry about it, that's neglecting your wife. You mean that bothers you? Come on, give me a break. You're sensitive about everything. Get a cry over that when she is not your first choice with good news you're neglecting your wife my wife this is the one that honestly i needed the most help on my wife would find out good news from somebody else i'd come home and tell her and she said yeah how long have you known (laughs) oh uh yeah (laughs) i couldn't get a hold of you You could have texted me you know i want to know those things honey i want to hear it from you i want to know when when you first get the news and you're super excited call me first I'm working at that. Does that make sense to you guys? Do those things make sense? Listen, solutions start when you admit your sinful bent. Ladies, admit your sinful bent. Men, admit it. Can you do that? Or are you defensive? Well, I'm not that way. Oh, come on. We're all that way. We've all got that, that, just that something inside of us that is, because of our sin nature, we just struggle with some things. Protect your marriage, number three. By replacing nagging words with words of kindness. Ladies, I'll just give you this piece of advice. Words of kindness. To do this, it's like stop sending the wrong messages and replace those wrong messages with right messages. Replace nagging words. Replace them with kind words. We're not talking about duct tape sanctification here. It's not like, okay, I'm just not going to say anything, okay? No, no, that's not good enough. We want you to say something. We do, we love it when you talk, just not nagging. Kind words. Proverbs 15, 23. The Bible says, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And I love this, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. A word spoken and in due season, right words at the right time. A wife that that can do that gives an awesome gift to her home. Now, let me give you some things to consider to be done with. In other words, ladies, this is something I'm going to get rid of in my life. Number one, I'm going to say it because it's true. Get rid of that. Bad idea. Is it helpful? Sometimes I think we just, we stop, we we fail to think, is what I'm saying helpful? It may be true, but is it helpful to say it? Number two, get rid of this thinking. I'm going to say it because he deserves it. Well, he may. He may deserve it, but you know, we all deserve hell, and aren't you glad we're not getting that if we're saved? Sometimes that's not really a good philosophy when you're making a decision as to whether or not you're going to say something. Well, I'm going to say it because no one else does and He needs to hear it, and I'm the only one that will tell him. Can I make a suggestion that we, that we get rid of those things, and, and, and let me make some positive suggestions. Number one, can I say it kindly right now? If not, I'm going to wait till I can say it kindly. Because right now, it's not going to come out kind, so I'm going to, I'm going to wait. All right, number two. Can he hear this now? I mean, is he listening? Is, is he focused in? I want to say this. I think I could say it right, but will he hear it now? Number three, can he handle it now? Right? Words at the right time. A word spoken in due season, right? So I want to say it at the right time. Can he hear it now? Can he handle it now? I love Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bone. Did a little research on honey. Listen, honey is good for you. Isn't it amazing what God knew before man knew? Honey is good for you. And God said, pleasant words, they're like honey. It's good for you. Man, nothing like pleasant words. Nothing like gracious words. They're like health to the bones. I looked in one of the files that my wife has, where I've kept all my wife's notes. I almost brought it in, but it's like crazy thick. She's, I've got like 17 or 18 files full of notes that carolyn's read me but i'm gonna tell you here's what's interesting they always come at the right time here's one a long time ago dear eric or dearest eric that's even better you have grown so much in the last few years you're becoming more and more godly i really feel you strive to love god more and know him that gives me security because then i know you will be tender to him in every area of your life including being a husband and a father Please never let Satan tempt you with anything that would take you away from the boys. They need a godly father to, to, to look to. You see how other children are hurt by good people who love ministry more than their family. They need your continued hand of discipline along with all the love you show. You're a wonderful father to our two beautiful boys. They love you and need you. Please never lose your passion for fatherhood that your dad instilled in you. I'm proud to have you as my husband and father, my boys of my boys. They are very blessed. I love you, Caroline. Oh can attack the world you say well i don't like you i don't care i can do this i can preach this message it's hard how would you like to be in my shoes today preaching the message god told you i need a few letters every now and then they just keep me going and i get them pleasant words gracious words that just keep you going they're like honeycombs, sweet to the soul And health to the bones. Amen. Number four. Men, protect your marriages by reversing neglect with simple or singular focused attention. Protect your marriage by reversing neglect with singular focused attention. Now, in my experience as a pastor and a counselor, i found that men struggle with these things. They struggle with their work and spiritual life. If I was giving you the top three. All right, number three would be work and spiritual life. Men struggle with that. It's third on my list, and I'm not giving you a long list, just three things. Work and spiritual life. Number two, men struggle as a husband and a father and with their role in the home. As I've counseled, this is what I would say is number two. They struggle with it. Just, man, just being the kind of father I need to be, being a a good husband, and also just my role in the home, leadership in the home, and, man, I I just need help, Pastor. And then number three, with sexuality. In their body and in their mind. That's number one. Men struggle with that. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 27, men. The Bible says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes be not burned? Somebody answer that question. Can you do that? Anybody want to try after the service? We'd love to see it. We'll videotape it. Send it in. Be fantastic. Can, a, can, a, can, can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? About a nanosecond, yeah. Maybe. Can you do these things? Read on. So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy a soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. He destroys himself, a woman, or rather a wound and dishonor shall he get. And his reproach shall not be wiped away. Ten years, 20 years, 30 years. There's always that wound. It's always there. It never goes away. Bible tells us it will never go away. Away. So, how can we protect our marriages from from the effects of neglect and unfaithfulness? Well, first of all, there's many forms of neglect and unfaithfulness in marriage, not just number one, sexual unfaithfulness, but that is one. But that's not the only way we neglect our our wives. Secondly, there's mental unfaithfulness. Mental unfaithfulness. Sometimes we don't think things. We think things we shouldn't think. Sometimes we're looking at things we should look at. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. That's sin. You're being unfaithful to your wife. Don't try to make yourself feel better because it's on a computer screen. It's no different. There's sexual unfaithfulness, there's mental unfaithfulness, there is emotional unfaithfulness. You become distant and removed from your wife. She she doesn't know really what's going on. You're you're coming in late. You're not really telling her where you where you've been, and you know, it's none of her business. And I'm a big boy and I can handle this. I heard that was said this week to a wife. I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Leave me alone you got problems, son. You're not a big boy. You're a little boy. But you're hiding. Seriously. It's the thought. Financial unfaithfulness. Financial unfaithfulness. We can be unfaithful to our wives financially. By not being honest about things. By by not exposing and and allowing uh, our finances to be an open book to our wives. Letting them know. And then verbal unfaithfulness. How you talk to her and about her. So how do we reverse these things? Well, let me give you four ways to accelerate faithfulness in your marriage. I'm going to use Proverbs chapter 5 to do this. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. All right, here it is. Let's look at that on the screen. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Number one, write this word down, singularity. That's the first word I'm going to give you to accelerate faithfulness in your marriage. I am a one woman man. Amen. One woman, one man for one lifetime. Or I'm a one man woman. Amen. Singularity. Drink waters out of your own sister. That's what I am. I, I'm all about the singularity. And then secondly, let's, let's go a little further with that. Proverbs five sixteen, and even a little bit into 17. It says, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine and not strangers with thee. Write this word down, exclusivity. Not just am I singular, not just singularity that I'm a one-woman man, but I'm not for anyone else, period. Hey, I never flirt with another woman, I only flirt with my wife, exclusively hers. I mean, I'm not like sharing any affection with anybody else other than what's defined clearly as Christian love. And I'm a lover, and you, you know it, church, but I don't flirt. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to flirt. I don't want to be anywhere near flirting. I want to be exclusively, I, I, want, I want to make sure that I'm accelerating faithfulness in my marriage. I can't do that if she's not exclusive, my exclusive lover. Next, Proverbs 5, 18. Let thy fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Write this word down, fervency. Fervency. Rejoice with the wife. Of, hey, listen, are you fired up about your wife? Are you fired up about her? You ever walk behind her in the kitchen and just put your arms around her and just say, baby, you are the bomb.com. <laughs> Woo! Man, fervency. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Man, listen, we got married in our early 20s. We're now in our late 40s and we're still rejoicing. Fervent about it. Fired up about it. Love it. Think it's great. Want the world to know she's mine and I'm hers and we're having the time of our lives. And then finally... Proverbs five nineteen. a little more graphic here, I'll be careful. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. Write this word down, frequency, frequency. When you accelerate faithfulness in your marriage, be ravished with your wife. That word means intoxicated. That's what it means in the Greek. Be intoxicated with her, or in the Hebrew, be intoxicated with her. So those are just some things. Let's do everything. Let's do our part. Men, be a leader. Step up. Number five, protect your marriage by rallying during times of adversity. Protect your marriage by rallying during times of adversity. Proverbs 25, 11. The Bible says, a word fitly spoken. And is that right? Twenty five eleven. Yes. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Here's the, the thought. The thought is this, that we need to say priceless words I mean, let's be specific and give some words that will really help our marriages in times where we're struggling and things aren't going so well and we're having a hard time. That word, fitly spoken, in a tough time, in a hard time. Can I tell you one way, one word you can can use when you're going through a tough time? And that's a word of regret. Caroline, come up here for just a second. Let me illustrate this. A word of regret. Chloe, take notes for mom. A word of regret. In other words, we're having a tough time. Here's here's how I can protect my marriage. Honey, I'm sorry. That goes a long way. I'm sorry. That's a word of regret. I'm sorry. Next, a word of confession. A word of confession. That'll help a marriage. You know what that is? Hey, honey, listen, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong. Or I was... I was... Give me just a second. Oh, it's hard. I was raw good. Do you hear me? Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's another one. A word of affection. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, sweetheart. my little Japanese princess. I love you. A word of hope. A word of hope. Things are tough, man. Listen, we are we are hard nuts to crack, right, guys? And here's a word of hope to our wives. Don't give up on me. I'm going to try harder. Amen. They need to hear that sometimes. I'll try harder to do better. A word of commitment. I'm here for you, and that will never change. Never. I'm here for you. It'll never change. Hey, till death do us part. Amen. You may be seated, honey. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, some marriages are obliterated by adversity. Obliterated. We've had our share, have you? Anybody married here 20, 25 years, had their share of adversity? Amen. Tough times, hard times, financial crisis, health crisis, problems with parents. But I want you to take a look at a couple who went through some serious adversity. And I want you to see how they got through it.
1: How could Bill accept me?
2: I wish we hadn't come back from vacation of the day early.
1: How could I accept myself?
2: I wish I had not gone to work that morning. You wake up every day hoping it was an awful dream and that it wasn't true. And you wake up the next day hoping it was an awful dream and it wasn't true for months and months and months.
1: I was just having a great time just playing with the two kids on the bed. We were rolling around in the covers, and they were giggling, and I was like, oh, Jonathan, you smell so badly, and I've got to change your diaper. I just think I'll give you guys a bath. I got Carrie, and I put her in, and Jonathan had been sitting up well for a month, and he was seven months old at the time, and um, so I just played with him in the bathtub, and then I could hear the dogs barking outside. So I went and um, to the front door and I called the dogs and they wouldn't come. In my heart I knew that I just knew I needed to get right back there.
2: I got an interruption in a meeting at work where a floor supervisor came into my meeting room and said, your wife's called, your son's drowned, you're supposed to go home right away. When you hear something like that you can't possibly really believe that what you've heard is true. When I got to the driveway, there's the ambulance sitting out front and lights running, and I walk into the front room and our seven-month-old son Jonathan's on the floor with the paramedics working on him and trying to revive him and Pam praying over in the corner with a friend. And you're having that almost out-of-body experience where you're looking at something you think can't really possibly be true. When we got to the hospital, my best friend was the physician. I remember him walking into the room and saying to us that uh, we lost him, Uh, Jonathan's gone, and taking me over to the side and saying, you know, Bill, when there's a death of a child, as a result of the responsibility of one of the spouses, there's probably an 85% chance for a divorce.
1: It was really hard to be 26 and have something happen like this that you don't expect to happen.
2: construct what happened you want to um, wrench your fists at how could you do this I had to come to grips with what was that going to be in our marriage I had to come to grips with am I going to take that anger and just focus on that anger and focus on the mistake or am I going to talk about what we have to do going forward as, as a family and as a couple as we drove home and as I prayed we got our two year old When we sat on a piano bench together, weeping and crying, I held up the Bible and I said, you know, this book is either true or it isn't. If it's true, we know God loves us and he has a wonderful plan for our life. And um, he's in control. God will not protect us from what he will perfect us through.
1: That's where Christ makes a difference. Not only in forgiveness and receiving each other because you know what, I was wrong to leave the bathtub. But we don't live perfect lives. I'm not a perfect person. I think of it as a choice that you can forgive each other and continue to work towards letting God have the freedom and the Holy Spirit to have freedom to work in your life, to make you into the person that He wants you to be. And He uses good things and He uses really, really hard things too.
0: God will not... Protect us from what he will not perfect us through. I don't know what kind of tough times you've been through, but I guarantee you just found out it's second place compared to that. At least in most cases. I'm just simply saying, folks, the times of adversity are times we need to remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. And what does it say? It says this. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. Charity never fails. But whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Love. That's what we need to do through tough times. Love one another. And finally, protect your marriage by living in the present, not in the past. Get rid of the U-Haul, guys. Get rid of it. Unhook it and leave the past behind. The past will mess you up. The the baggage of the past. Ten years ago, five years ago, last week, remember when you... No, no. Get rid of the U-Haul and live for today. Today is going to be a great day. We're going to change some things. We're going to move forward from here. Proverbs nineteen and verse eleven. The scriptures say, "The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it bringeth his, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression." It's a, it's his glory to pass over that transgression. I'm not talking about things that. Are, are serious enough to look at. I know love covereth a multitude of sins, and yet there are some sins that need to be addressed. But I think you know what I'm talking about. In most cases, in most of the things we're bringing up, and we're arguing over, and we're allowing to ruin our marriages, there are things in the past. Listen, how does a couple fall in love in the first place? How? I'm on the top of the world, looking down on creation and the only explanation. Where do those days go? Where's that gone? I still I, I sang that song in the office today. I couldn't believe I remembered every word. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? Where have those days gone? Just on top of the world. It's because we've got things in the past that are still being allowed in our conversations. Proverbs ten twelve, and this is the last verse I'm going to show you. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed.